Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly, getting my feet rubbed by my husband. You are getting your feet rubbed. (laughs) This is going to be a two-hour podcast episode because as long as I'm sitting here in front of a microphone talking, I'll keep my feet on my husband's lap and he'll rub my feet. (laughs) (laughs) Until my thumbs start cramping or something. We'll see. We'll see how long you last. (laughs) Five minutes. What's the payoff? Is there a payoff here? There's no payoff tonight, is there? An excellent podcast episode. Guess what? I have lots of things to talk about tonight. Oh, do you? Rather than a sitting down, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Episode, I have things to say. Well, I'm really excited that we have our new logo package. Our our, Our graphics branding package is done. So if you're listening right now, you might have noticed a badge on the show cover. As well as uh, the new, um, on the episode cover, and then as well as a new logo on the show cover. And there's even a third variant on our website. If you can go find it, we'll give something away. The, the third variant? A box of tea. A box of tea. I don't know. That's very generous of us. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so we're kind of excited about that. If you're some local, it'll be some homemade goods. If it you're mm, not local, sourdough. it'll be Molly's sourdough We'll send starter. you a we'll send you a um, a toilet stopper or something home good related. Right? Yeah. What about one of those little blue drops? If you're too busy to flush, like can we do we automate? How do we automate flushing? Yeah, that's true. I'll see if Natural Grocers has anything natural like that. That'd be the most. Because I'm part hippie. That would be the most ridiculous giveaway present ever. That would actually be pretty funny. Toilet scrubbing brushes. Ikea sells those, but we don't have an Ikea here, so we couldn't get them cheap. I could talk, you know, Mike, who does our, who did our logos and stuff, he does, this is what he does for a living. I could probably ask him if he has toilet bowl cleaners that he can brand for us. Okay, speaking of Mike, and you know how he, like, sells people their pens and stuff with logos on them. Mm -hmm. This was my first time doing, this evening was my first time doing takeout. Because you usually do all the pickup. How long has Commons been doing, like, sign sign your receipt and keep your pen? A couple of weeks. Okay. That was weird to me, but that's also... Super weird. I love cheap branded pens. They are not only because I like free stuff, but they write better. I've gone through so many different types and styles of pens over the course of my life, and actually I'm currently on a felt-tipped pen kick from my two-sided, like fancy writing pens. I did all my BSF stuff because I'm doing a two-week BSF because I can commit to two weeks of BSF. <laughs> I'm doing two weeks of it. Um, and I did it all with a felt, like, like hand lettering pen last night and totally loved that. But for the most part, my pens of choice now are the ones I steal from banks. Um, and also the one I got from Commons tonight when I went for my to-go cocktail because Montana is awesome during a pandemic, and you can get to-go cocktails. I'm wondering how that long that'll last. Okay, so right because I have a jam-packed schedule. What time is it, people? It's really Nine, late. Nine forty-seven. I put my last kid back to bed at nine thirty. What's wrong with them? This I don't know. We've got to start putting them to bed at seven fifteen these days. Because these days they stretch bedtime out so much. They're not all in bed till nine. And then I go upstairs. I look upstairs and I actually put this picture on our Instagram story and I might put it on a regular picture 
in a couple of days after the thrill of the new logo has worn off as being the first picture there. Um, I go, I'm going up the stairs to put Elise to bed and the bathroom lights on, everything else is dark. So it's like perfectly framed, like everything's dark. And as you go up our stairs, you see, you see straight into the bathroom and there's just a pair of feet sticking out with, with pants around the ankles and she's sitting on the toilet with her feet straight out and so it just like I was very quiet and I had to take a picture I got up to where I could have it just perfectly framed in the picture <laughs> too busy to flush can yeah. you put that on a t-shirt is the, the actually the question was will she flush I mean oh, she's certainly funny. not busy it was 902 p.m at that time and after I went in you know okay Elise finish going to the bathroom let me know when you're done and then I'm downstairs are you done yet no are you done yet? No. Are you done yet? I'm washing my hands. That's Are a fantastic you... photo. Are you done yet? I have to come down and get some ice water. No. No ice water. You are now over an hour past your bedtime. I finally get her all tucked in. She's got to change clothes then after that for some bizarre reason. I get her all tucked in. She wants you to come up and tuck her in. I was like, no. 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 Oh, if I go up there... I, she does the wind, everything. The window of opportunity for having your dad tuck, come upstairs and tuck you in passed 45 minutes ago. Anyway, I get her all tucked in and Faith starts screaming her head off. What on earth? Now it's 930 and I'm tucking the baby back in who's actually been in bed for an hour now. These two were in bed. They stayed in bed after we put them down. Oh, they're, yeah. Usually they're pretty good unless Titus can't sleep and comes upstairs for... A sleeping pill or something, but um, yeah, because anyway. Elise did wander down and tell me that she's the pink panda or the pink uh, Pinkie Pie that's Pinkie a character pie. in My Little Pony, yeah, because she's wearing all pink, yeah, bright pink. So, anyway, um, I you you were after you talked to Paul, your second cousin's husband, um, what up, Paul? Because Friesens are funny like that, the kids are like, Who was dad talking to? Oh, you know what? The Friesen reunions. He's the one who plays the drums. It's got really long the worship hair. services. Anyway, you know, and they're like, oh, one of the zillion people who go to the Friesen reunions. But anyway, um, so I I messaged Andrea on Facebook with the that recipe, and we went back and forth a little bit. And now I'm coming up with all of these like sourdough zinger lines, because I sent her. I was like, Paul wanted my new sourdough recipe. But if you don't have it, you should also have my favorite sourdough recipe. And she's like, well, of course he meant your favorite, not your new one. And I was like, but they're all so different. It's like choosing a favorite child. Except I always like my bread recipes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started coming up. I actually wrote this down. I came up with, let's see, is it a top 10? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It is. I have a top 10 list of reasons that kids are like sourdough bread. Oh, this is fun. Okay. <clears throat> they're, they're, some, I need to add some music to They're this. in no... Oh, you could add some... Can we get a bass line or something? Yeah, oh, I, I've been writing bass line music I, for the last week. I was um, I was sort of being a little bit... I don't bit, know if I'm any good at it. But you, no, no, no. You don't have to. Okay. Um, unless you're absolutely dying no, to. No, no, Okay. So number one, they always want to be fed. Number two... Now, are we going from ten... No, no, no. These Top. are in order of how I thought of them. I didn't oh. have time. I was too busy putting kids back to bed to, like, put these in order. Okay. Number two, and this is the one I just told Andrea, that different kids are like recipes. They're all so different. You can't choose a favorite one. Parentheses. But I always like all of my bread recipes, and I don't always like all of my kids. <laughs> uh, number three, 
everybody has strong opinions about how to do it, but there really isn't a wrong way to raise it, get it, raise it, bread raised rises, yeah, um, unless you kill it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're both, they've both been really hard on my waistline. Uh, they're both sticky a lot. <laughs> uh, after I've been at both for a while, because I have four kids, I realize that they can be neglected a lot more than I originally thought. Um, they leave us toast. <laughs> um, That's they, a good one. They take a lot of patience and perseverance to see results. Another one. I think this is nine, if you're counting. Even after all that patience, you still have to be happy sometimes with less than perfect results. And um, number 10, <laughs> butter makes everything better. <laughs> it's just a family motto. I had to include it because <coughs> butter definitely makes sourdough better. And I don't know what it has to do with kids, except our kids say a lot. I wouldn't advise putting butter on a warm child. <laughs> but you- crusty bread is good crusty children are not <laughs> our children are crusty a lot <laughs> um, oh. anyway you know um we have a friend who recognizes the value of the good fats in butter and if her kids are just like constantly hungry like what can i snack on she's like go eat a spoonful of butter and that makes them happy and it satiates their hunger enough that it actually makes them go away and give her a Should break we do that with our kids because they're always hungry they are always hungry. Always wanting to be fed. So anyway, um, you know, it's you can fantastic. maybe after the fact you can add in like a drum roll for butter makes everything better. Cause do it's like a, a little do bit like a game show. Anticlimactic. Theme. Unless it was us. Do, 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 no, do, not Jeopardy. Do. That's overdone. You're right. It is overdone. Um, what was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about? I don't know, but I have something in my eye. Oh, I thought you were going to say you had something to say. Nope. This is going to be the Molly show tonight. It's always a I start yawning. That's terrible. That's a, a party foul. I'm going to have to edit that out. Um, no, people want to hear you anyway. They want to hear me. Um. So I've been mulling over, you know, we have this book that, I don't know if we've talked about it on here yet, the book Every Moment Holy. Which I feel like it's something we we should have. Okay, so so for those of you who don't know, I know that we've talked about it in person with some of you. It's a book published by The Rabbit Room. If you Google Rabbit Room Store, you're going to find it. The Rabbit Room is an organization for um, artists and art promoting that, uh, founded by Andrew Peterson. And um, um, the... The author's name is Douglas McKelvey, and it's Every Moment Holy is a book of prayers or liturgies, as he calls them. So they're like most of them are responsive prayers, like a a leader will say a part and then people respond um, for not necessarily everyday moments, but moments that he felt in his life deserved a pause and a recognition of the holiness, the the. God being presentness in these moments, as well as almost all of them point to some aspect of our fallen condition and 
and the redemption of that fallen condition and the anticipation that we have for heaven. So I think the reason that I fell in love with it in the first place is because my favorite book ever of all time is The Supper of the Lamb, which is literally a recipe book and an, a how-to book on how to throw a dinner party written by a priest, an Anglican priest in the 1950s. But he also, in this incredibly masterful way, weaves in with it a theology of heaven and of how so many of our experiences here on earth are wetting our appetites, both literally and metaphorically, for heaven. And so the first time I was exposed to an every moment holy prayer was one called A Liturgy for Feasting with Friends. And Andrew Peterson posted it, I think, before Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. And um, the theology in it of just um, how what we're doing is a foretaste of the Supper of the Lamb, of the wedding feast, of all of us feasting together, um, is just, I mean, every time we introduce it to people, you know this, um, they're always like, whoa, that was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. And it sets the stage just beautifully for great fellowship over a meal, and also, I think, gives voice to the... um, the soul-satisfying nature of a dinner party or of feasting together. So Thanksgiving dinner is not just satisfying, you know, making us fat. It's also feeding something deep in our souls that we need in terms of something, whatever unique magic happens around a table which with might, people. Which might be even more obvious coming out of covid sheltered home, self-isolation, quarantine garbage. Okay, so this is exactly where I'm going with this. I was actually flipping through Every Moment Holy today, trying to find if there was any sort of liturgy that would be appropriate for the first time that we're coming back together with friends after having this prolonged separation. And of course there isn't, because there's no precedence for this. But I'm thinking, like, for churches, like, can we reframe, can we frame our coming together very deliberately in a theological way? And the two things that I've come up with, just thinking about this in my own head, so obviously this is not going to be super well articulated or as developed as, you know, a pastor thinking this through and in community with other pastors or whatever would be. But, um, when, when the exiles returned to Israel to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple, um, there was this coming together of people who had been scattered and had lost fellowship at the most precious place to them, lost fellowship with each other and with God at the place that was to them paramount for fellowship with God. And obviously, we're not losing that because the temple is now the Holy Spirit residing in each of us, and we meet with God through the Spirit wherever we are. And so we don't feel that acute separation that we can't actually be present with God as I think the faithful exiles would have. But do you remember in our Jesus Storybook Bible, um, 
the story of the exiles returning and rebuilding the walls. It's been a while. Yeah, but I should remember, given the fact that we read through it every night for like three years. Yeah, we read through it multiple times straight. Um, so they get back and I now I should have brought it. I should have reviewed it. Um, there's there's a period of mourning because they realize that all of this is the result of their sin that the exile happened to begin with as a result of their sin. And they read, they so they, they gather together, and is it Nehemiah? I don't know. Anyway, somebody, I'm sounding really biblically ignorant right now, somebody reads the law for, like, days and nights on end, and the people get more and more sad because the more aware they are... Oh, yeah, it's the story with the really, 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 really long scroll. Yeah, the more... And they said, let's stop. Let's throw a party. Yes, because the more aware they are of God's Mm -hmm. law, the more they realize how far short they've fallen of it. And so he says, stop, we're going to throw a party because not only... You know, like because that's not all of who God is. Like, the awareness of our sin is only part of the picture. And the bigger picture is... God who is bringing us back and who is redeeming us. And so for me, like, I'm wondering if someone smarter and more thoughtful and with more time on their hands um, could draw some sort of parallel between, like, we're not necessarily in exile in our own homes, so to speak, um, under the oppression of other governments because of our own sin. But we are... um, because of the existence of sin in our world, it is because we live in a fallen world that we're all in this diaspora and we are experiencing oppression and trials in our own homes, all in our own ways. And so this coming back together is a great reunion and a chance to have perhaps hopefully spent time focusing on our relationship with God because not only are we setting record numbers of Netflix hours, um, but maybe we're also finding some time for God in all this time that we have at home. Um, anyway, I'm just wondering if there could be like a a sense of the, the party that they threw as the exiles returned and were together with each other and closer to God again when the churches reopen. And then, of course... Am I making any sense to you at all? Mm-hmm. You're doing a good job massaging my feet, but I don't know if I'm making sense to you. But then the other part of me that I'm more confident waxing eloquent on um, is just the um, the when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be, if you will, because the coming back together is... Um, is a foretaste of the great reunion that we'll have when we shed our earthly limitations. And, you know, not only are we not stuck in our homes, but we're reunited with each other in a perfect world um, with no more sin and sickness and crying. And so the coming together in a small way and for us who go to a church that celebrates communion every week, you know, the communion is a small taste of the wedding feast um, 
wine and bread and all the other party fare that goes with wine and bread. And so um, even having communion is um, not just a look inward at your sin, but a look forward to the final supper of the lamb that we all get to enjoy together. And so, um, I don't know if I were, if I were Doug McKelvey and I were writing a liturgy for people who were going back to church for the first time, I would, you know, and I had his brilliance, I would for sure be talking about, um, looking ahead to that glorious feast when we get to be reunited with our loved ones after a prolonged separation and period of trial that, um, it would be fun to write a liturgy like that, but the amount of work that would go into it feels rather daunting. Oh, it feels levels. incredibly daunting. I don't I even mean, know where you start. You could start. probably, yeah, I mean, just trying to formulate and work through everything would be, I think that'd be an enjoyable exercise. Um, but did to get know, it right would be, whew. Did you know that he had a liturgy for writing liturgies that he prayed before he would sit down to work on one? Oh, man, I can only imagine. It's actually published at the beginning of the book. <laughs> but I, I might actually reread the the wedding, the feasting with friends one, because I think now that I think about it, I think there are probably echoes of that. You could probably take something that he already has and rewrite it a little bit. Yeah, I did look at for he has one right before feasting with friends that's for a purposeful gathering and I didn't feel like that quite hit the mark. But nothing's going to quite hit the mark because there's no historical precedent as far as I know of. I mean, I think people socially distanced during the plague during the Spanish flu. Don't say that word anymore. I'm sick of it. I'm no, I mean like term. I mean like the no, black I'm plague. Sick, I know, but I'm sick of the word SD, the term SD. Oh. I just want to insert choice swear words every time I hear it. Well, that's your problem. I know. I think it's really You dumb. have personal, weird, I do authoritarian have personal weird. issues. I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Yeah. Anybody. Anywhere. Except you. You can tell me what to do. No, you don't. You don't like it when I tell you what to do either. I'd be looking over at my audience right now if I had one. But I don't. And they'd all be like, yeah, she's right. At least you're still massaging my feet. Um, so what's your parenting tip for the week? My parenting tip for the week. That, treat your kids like your sourdough. Feed them occasionally, put butter on them, and try not to eat them while they're still hot. <laughs> try not to kill it? <laughs> Don't leave them in a hot place for too long. It will kill your starter. Um, no, um... I was going to see if you wanted to say anything about the movie that we're behind the curve on watching, but that we enjoyed so much last week. Oh, Ford versus Ferrari. Ah, oh, it was brilliant. So good. Like, I just, it, I don't know. It just told a good story. There were, there were sorrowful moments, sorrow, sorrowful moments, but not ones that made me not want to watch the movie. There's a lot of movies that I don't want to watch because I just, I'm like, I'm not interested in putting myself through that level of emotion. Don't want to do that. I live, real life has enough of that. But this story was just, you know, it's a story, it's a combination of the, the underdog and a biography. Um, and I just, I thought it was really well acted. It was incredibly well written. Um, really flowed. It was just a fantastic way to spend my time. Loved it. I don't know if I would have loved it 
as much if I hadn't known that it was based in history. Like, there are moments in it, like, like the end of the race moment, not to give people spoilers, but I don't think that would have played well if that weren't rooted in history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, but because there's it's certain actually... things that won't. I mean, to me, movies that have... Movies that are rooted in history tend to have a little more of appeal. Like the next movie on my um, to-watch list is 1917. But, um, you know, I, I find them more appealing. But yeah, there's a lot of certain things. I mean, life... If we made a movie on life, it would be really boring. Our lives would be really boring. If I wrote a biography on my life, really, really dull. Most people's lives are really dull. So you have to condense and compress and change a little bit. Um, but in doing so, you have to leave out the stuff that doesn't fit. Unless it's historically accurate. And in this piece, it's kind of what you're saying. It stayed fairly if it historically wasn't, accurate. If it wasn't yeah. historically accurate, it wouldn't have fit. It, wouldn't, it just wouldn't have fit in the movie. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. But boy, they did pick a good story. It's amazing to me how interesting world history is that there are stories like that just waiting to be told. I think there are lots and lots of stories like that. Oh, I agree. A lot of them just aren't, either not well written or they're not well known or they're well written and somewhat known, but for whatever reason, some draconian executive says, I don't want to make that. (laughs) We're just like, meh. It's, it's, you just, it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, the... Highly recommended, though. Kind of like the Bible story. Like, you know, you wouldn't make that, you wouldn't make up a story like that. You know, it's one of the... It's too much work. ...argument proofs for the resurrection is nobody would have made up this story. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. You're going to make comments about Ford versus Ferrari. From a woman's perspective, a racing movie, car development, car design movie. From It was you that texted me when it came out. You sent me a text that said, hey, I'll go see this. Yeah, because I was the Downton Abbey <laughs> movie, and that was one of the previews, and you'd never heard like, of it before. Yeah, and then we never got out because we can't find a babysitter and we have four kids. Yeah, I feel around. like there was other stuff going on. Yeah, we never go see movies. Yeah. We have a giant movie theater over here in our family we room, and we never it. watch movies. Oh, the reason we watched this was all our kids were camping out. Oh, that's right. And the upstairs, so we need to. You need to set up like the tent upstairs and have an exciting family camp out in the tent sometime. Okay. And I'll then we can watch movies down here, because we have two kids who sleep in the basement down the hall from our. And family. I learned this neat trick where I can connect my really my nice over-the-ear Bluetooth headphones directly to my Apple TV so I can watch stuff huge on the screen and the audio is just privately right there in my ears and it's wonderful. Changed changed my world. Um, changed my life and I still never use it because uh, there's other stuff I'd rather be doing. I mean, I think I've made this comment before but I'd rather be in here creating something. I'd rather be upstairs reading. I mean, there's so many other things I'd rather be doing. Yeah, I just saw a Christian a list of like 20 thing things that you could be watching while you're stuck at home. And I skimmed the list and I was like, only like three or four of those appeal to me. How about doing? Like so many people do these, do, are there that many people in the world? Am I weird? 
or there are that many people in the world that don't have a creative bent. They don't have any interest in... I think that's a little strong of a way to put it, because I think a lot of people do their work all day and then want to veg out or want to indulge their creative bent by by consuming, not necessarily creating. See, I, would, I wouldn't call that... I wouldn't call that exercising. Consuming isn't exercising creativity, in my opinion. It can be enjoying... It Don't can do be, that to my toes. Sorry. It can, it can be... I mean, you naturally are... You're forced into somebody else's creative world. That you can actively appreciate. I guess. But... I don't know. I've never had a day job where I want to... I'm... I'm... I'm I'm fulfilled in my day job. Never been fulfilled in a day job. I've always got to be doing something on the side. Okay. Now that everybody who watches movies in their free time feels alienated and looked down on by you. I didn't know. That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not what I'm... This is why I'm not on Twitter anymore. Because what I'm saying, I don't, you know, people always get offended over the impact. Okay, you guys waste your time watching movies. I'm better. I've got better things to do. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. I wish I could watch movies guilt free. Is that (laughs) any better? It's still condescending. Doggone it. (laughs) I need to get off the mic. I'm just going to dive headlong into a uh, totally... I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to say guilty pleasure. I don't know, guilty pleasure. So I started watching Tiger King, and I just couldn't get into it. It was too weird for me. Even though, I mean, that's another thing. Like, nobody would have made... Like, nobody would have watched this if this wasn't a real person in a real story. It's just too weird. Like, come on. Come up with some believable characters, right? Like... Um, you know, yeah. but the you... the reason people are watching it is because these are real people and they are that weird. Um, and, so, but I just, I still just couldn't like, I watched enough to get the memes and, um, kind of understand what's going on, but I, it's just, it's too painful to slug through that much. So I switched to a much higher level of cultural entertainment I switched to the Netflix Love is Blind, which was made oh, by... Now, yeah. We're supposed me. to spend a whole show see, on this. See, I'm culturally ignorant enough, even though I saw these people in almost every episode. I don't know how to pronounce their last name. Nick Le- Lachey. Do you know who I'm talking about? He was... Yeah. What's his, what's his last name? I don't know. Was he a Backstreet Boy in Sync? In uh, 98 Degrees. Okay. So, see, that's... That says a lot about me. And then his wife's name is... Jessica Simpson. Right? Oh. I don't know. She always used his last name as her last name. And it was kind of cute because she said... Maybe like, I got them all mixed up. My name all is... Those, is it those, Jessica? Now we're going to Google. All those all those boy bands. Because there was also like <clears throat> Vanessa. I thought maybe. Nick Lay. I don't even know how to spell it. I should have done some homework before this, right? <laughs> Jessica Simpson reveals the real reason she divorced Nick Lachey. They're divorced? <laughs> uh, this His... she, she, January 25th, 2020. <laughs> so much for their co-producing Love is Blind. Whoa. Okay. So. Um, oh, so they did the Newlyweds TV show. Okay. Um, okay. They're co-hosts with a Netflix show. 
No, no, no. Oh, this no, was they, okay. This was must have been a different a different wife because it looks like yeah they, the, they the were divorced a while. That's ago. why I'm confused. Love is Blind was co-hosted by Vanessa, and him. Oh, Nick and Vanessa. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't so know who Vanessa is she another supermodel celebrity? All I know is um. That's, <laughs> that's how behind the times I am. Yeah. I'm okay. like, oh, she was in the back. The she she's a Filipino American television personality, beauty queen, fashion model, television host, and actress. She was Miss Teen USA in 1998. And Total Request Live on MTV. She starred in two network sitcoms, and has hosted various competition and reality shows through the 2010s and 2020s. So anyway, <coughs> um, Love Is Blind. They take, I don't know. So, look at Nick's face right here. Look at Nick's face right here. It's the same. There's. Nick. You could have just like photoshopped. Oh, Nick. You could just photoshop the two girls into that photo. One's from like 2002. The other's from like last year. He also hasn't really aged much. No. What's his secret? Is it Beauty Counter? Is it Rodan and Fields? Which one? It's all vegetables. Um. Anyway, so they, they, keto. I think the people butter. He wears butter. That's my. That's what I'm hoping is the fountain of youth for me. Eating oh, yes. a lot of butter. Um, so in this show, I think I explained the premise to you. They have these like blind dating pods, mm-hmm. and it's there's just this little screen that you can't see anything of the other person through it. But they start with like. 12 men and 12 women and they never get to see each other and they're all from the they all live in the Atlanta area because then after they they spend like two weeks having conversations with for as far as I can tell eventually it's for however long they want with whomever they want and the goal is find someone to propose to in these two weeks through just conversation and what what reeled me in because usually I'm I'm not a watch the bachelor sort of person um I get amused by some of the drama but I just couldn't commit to an entire season of that much drama but what pulled me into the um into this show was we have watched a documentary called the dating project right mm-hmm. and the dating project is about hookup culture and that one's a, that one's a mind blower. It's it's a great you, as far as I know, it's not available free streaming anywhere, but you can rent it on it's YouTube. Worth, it's worth paying. It's a couple it, bucks. It kind of just it rearranges your thinking a little bit. So here's the premise: there is a professor at Boston College, I think. Oh, this is her name not, is right, but we're talking about the dating project. The dating project. Um, her name is like Dr. Carrie Cronin or something. And she started noticing that her students had no idea how to date. And at any age, you know, any level, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, they had no idea how to date. And so after all these conversations, she came up with the idea of doing a how to date seminar because she's got students who will go to a party and get drunk and literally... And by hookup, I don't mean, like, make out, grind, like, have sex with people they have never had a real conversation with, 
and that's it. And they're told like these people have no idea how to actually have a conversation with somebody they like. And and yet through questioning them, they want to. They want to have relationships. They want to know what the path from I find this girl in my class attractive to I'm I'm dating her is, but they have no idea how to get there. Because <laughs> a whole new definition to like having the talk with your kid. Need to have a talk, son. Do you know how to go on a date? I know you know how to have sex, but do you know how to go on a date? It's like it's true though. It's true though. And so I don't know if she says this, but our culture has lost the script for how you go from stage to stage in establishing a relationship with someone. So even if you in your mind or your parents have been um, deliberate or overbearing, depending on your perspective, parents and have coached you on what you should expect in terms of um, how to grow an intimate relationship by intimate, I mean, you know, don't pour your heart out on the first conversation um, you know, what's appropriate as you're growing in relationship with somebody um, romantically. But um, anyway, so she kind of lays out what the script should look like. And then the final exam of this class is you have to ask somebody on a date. You have to go on a date. And she's got all these rules that um, on the surface, you're like, what? But in reality, she's trying to give these students a script and she's trying to set them up for success. And they have no... It's like climbing a mountain. Like, they don't have a path to climb up the mountain. So not only is she showing them the path, she's also telling them, like, these are the guardrails to keep you on the path. And the guardrails are, like, you can't go somewhere with alcohol. Your date can't be longer than a certain amount of time. Um, you should have a couple of questions prepared. Um, but not too many, so it's not like a job interview. Um, what else? No physical contact except like an A-frame hug or a side hug, which all of a, like Christian college students are familiar with that, but nobody else is. But the point is, side the point is that your level of physical interaction is appropriate for the level of um, emotional investment that you should have. And she doesn't she have like level one, level two, level she three has- dates? Yes, you had. They had to do it over a certain period of time to go from one to the other because they came back to class and would give a report. Yeah. Um, and the goal. Oh, was, you had the to ask the person get, out in person. Yeah, the goal was to get to the next level, so you had to ask the person out in person. Yeah. So anyway, um, and then so she, you follow a couple of students who do this, and it's it's crazy how exhilarating it was for these kids to successfully ask someone out on a date. Um, and then she, the the dating project movie also um, features a couple of people who are in their twenties and thirties who have struggled on the dating scene because of the way our culture is set up right now. That it's just very hard to find someone to date and marry, but despite having the desire to do so. Right, but your comment was, I thought was really interesting because you, when you were first telling me about the show, there was the. Um, the show, The Dating Project, the, or Love no, is Blind? Love is Blind. You thought it was headed in the right direction because they were coming up with these conclusions that were all pretty 
obvious from the dating project. Like you were, you're just, yeah. So, so, so the, the opening, these people's comments about why they're doing this experiment in the first place, like it's the complete opposite of the bachelor because the bachelor is all about the physicality and the physical appearance. And in, in a sense, like you can see the competition, um, with each other, but in, in the love is blind, the first two weeks, they're not even there. Well, there is competition somewhat. It, it does devolve into that, but it devolves. Well, no, but at first you're not actually really aware, like you're developing a one-on-one relationship with these people in these pods where you're in conversation with them. But unless they are revealing to you like, Hey, I'm also developing a relationship with this person, or I'm enjoying my conversations with this other girl too. Um, you're not, it's not like the bachelor where you're seeing them interact as much as, you know, to some degree anyway. Um, so they, these people in explaining why they're involved in this in the first place have all expressed a desire for marriage, for kids to find someone to whom they can commit. They've all, um, expressed their own, um, tendency to become, Foc- overly focused on the physical, either the, f- the other person's physical appearance or a physical relationship with that person prematurely. And they recognize that that colors the way that they're able to develop the emotional aspects of a relationship that actually make for a lasting relationship. So anyway, all the framing comments about what's wrong with dating in our culture really resonated with me because of my experience watching the dating project several times and these people, um, in these conversations in the pods are like, I've never, I've never been this self revealing to somebody like I'm having conversations, you know, which, um, it's kind of like campfire conversations where you're in the dark and you tend to say more intimate, deeper things about yourself you're more self-revealing because there's kind of the comfort of darkness. I don't know. So, so there's a little bit of that going on too, um, where, um, there may be oversharing for how much they know about these people. For example, one couple, he's like, I've never felt this. I've never been this vulnerable with somebody. I've never felt this safe talking about my fears and my hopes with somebody before. Was he still behind the box at this point? Yeah, he's still behind the box. You <laughs> I've know. never felt this safe before. Well, I'm not looking you in the face, so that helps. Right. Um, but then, um, you know, fast forward 10 episodes, and she's like, oh, by the way, I haven't held a steady job in like five years, and I'm homeless. I couch surf on my friends' couches, and I have thousands of dollars of makeup debt on on a makeup credit card and student loan debt that I stopped paying on several years ago because I never graduated and I just gave up and he's like what what whoa you know and these you know and he's saying he's never felt this close to someone but I feel like if a normal relationship where you got to feeling that close to someone is you'd probably know that she was homeless and jobless yes oh you know and so there was, like, what were they talking about for all of this time <laughs> was part of my question. But so... Not so, that. What do you like to do in your free time? 
What's your favorite drink? Well, and there there were a couple of them where they really played up. You know, and of course, in in post-editing, they're playing up. Like, there's one couple where there's a 10-year age span, and everything else about them is perfect on paper. You know, except she's super caught up in the age span. She's also drops later on that she's makes well over six figures and he's a fitness instructor and so even though they they're always in the editing always playing up the age span for sure the fact that he is roommates with his best friend and he basically has a that totally plays a role because she's not going to want if she's bringing that up now she's not going to want to bankroll him he basically yeah so anyway like but but the way they edited it she was all hung up on age not hung up on on the economic disparity mm. between them. And then there's another couple. And again, I like that he's white and she's black and she deliberately chose to not ask what race he was, even though it's a really big deal to her. She decided that she would fall in love with someone regardless of asking what race he was. Okay. That's cool. But if it's a big deal to you, then like, why does that have to be part of the love is blind experiment? Like, you you could know... Because we need to be colorblind. Uh, yeah. And then it becomes... Like, once they're out with her family, it becomes a huge issue. Or... It, and anyway, mm. the way it's edited. But so... So the way it starts is was very interesting to me. And then I was hooked. So then I had to see how it ended, even though... I started getting more and more frustrated with it because then they whisk all of them off to... So you you make it to stage two if you have a successful proposal by the end of stage one. And like as soon as you know you want to marry someone, you ask and then you get to see them face to face and like actually put a ring on their finger. And then they whisk you off to a resort in Mexico to establish a physical relationship that matches the emotional relationship that you've already established. That's backwards. So the honeymoon. Like, yeah, but it's a honeymoon before they're married, right? right? Um, and then, as I told you, as they're driving in, there's this drone shot of them driving through like this jungle in Cancun, and I was like, oh, I know exactly where they're going. Because we've been Paul there. Paul and Andrea, can you guess where they're going? As they're driving in vans through this jungle and they go through this big archway and Playa del Carmen and then they go into this giant... Anyway, like, I swear, some of us stayed at at the family wedding, the Friesen family wedding that we would do. I swear, some of us stayed in the same rooms that they were in. <laughs> and the, That's amazing. And the pool, like, you know, the private pool where we were ordering, uh-huh. like, the steak nachos and stuff, not the main one. Like, there are scenes there and they go on these outings that we didn't, we didn't do any of the cool outing sushi but swim up sushi anyway, bar you guys it was we, amazing so so before we had any kids we went to a Friesen family wedding that was bankrolled not by us and there were like 60 Friesens there and it was fantastic it was just super fun molly spent we her days in a cabana like a white i mean this, this she's up she, on, by the pool and it's this timber framed lounge chase double bed and there's it's surrounded on all four sides in the top by by beautiful white linens just flapping in the breeze and she'd look up and track down somebody who would be right there they're paying attention and she'd order herself a were you pregnant oh no pregnant she'd order herself her drink 
maybe something Steak else. Steak nachos. And we would and we would just me and my brother and uncles, we just we'd swim up to the bar and order was, sushi and drinks the, all day long. The all day nicest, long. most expensive resort in the Cancun area. We we will never ever do something like that again. Um, but it was amazing. And these people then spend a week there with the people that they've proposed to. So they're engaged. And, you know, some of them are, like, wildly making love the first night as soon as they see each other. And they're in this amazing romantic place. And they're just horny as can be. And some of them are like, okay, this is weird. I can't do this yet. And then, like, that drama gets played up because then they, like, they're running into each other and these people are, like, all over each other and these people are like, what's wrong with us? And I'm like, well, I think you're more normal than, like, that's okay. Like, and anyway, and so that becomes an issue for some of them. And then they bring them, after that, they bring them back to Atlanta and all of these people live and work at Atlanta except for the one gal who doesn't work. Um, And they have rented basically several floors of an apartment building and these people have to live together. I want to say for, I can't remember. It's not very long. It's, they have like a month to plan a wedding and they're living together and they're all still bumping into each other. And like, you know, they've all, some of these girls have developed what they thought were fairly intimate, possibly headed toward marriage relationships with guys who are now engaged to other girls and they're like, wow, he's a lot cuter than the one I chose, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, there's all this pressure because of course it's, it's reality TV. And so they have to meet the parents and there's a girl from, where's she from? Venezuela, Argentina, and her parents live in Florida. And so they fly them in to meet her very white fiance. And she's like Latina drama queen and he's trying to wrap his head around this because, you know, he's ne- like planning a wedding and going to be at the altar. And like the amount of pressure these people are facing to figure out their relationship and they're all freaking out. Some of them are freaking out. And it's like the, like the, the, the pressure of the artificial timeline was very frustrating to me because nobody should be like, because then the, the final thing is... They, they've rented out like two wedding venues and all of these couples who've made it this far are basically like, like girl shows up in the dress, there's family and friends there. They're all small, like 50 people or so. And then like, like there's this, I don't know what the other person is going to say at the altar pressure. Yes. And I made a face. Yeah, because nobody should be at the altar like, I wonder if she's going to say I do. Like, sure, there's the the token. <laughs> she, she said I did the other night, Cancun. Yeah, sure, there's the token, you know, does anyone here object? Do you take this man? Do you take this woman? But in modern Western culture, we've done enough premarital counseling and worked things out enough that there sh- there should never really be surprises at the altar of you know wondering what that other person sure there's jitters and you know you're up on stage and this is a major commitment uh, and stuff but um you know and sure it feels surreal but um 
you know, if you're really having questions, you put the wedding off, (laughs) you know, you don't stand in front of your family and friends and be like, I can't do this. And so I felt like the, the way the show was framed, um, put people under a, um, totally unrealistic timeline and did them, even the ones who did end up saying, both saying, I do, it just doesn't seem like you're setting them off to what they're hoping is a lifetime commitment in a good way. And so the way the show progressed ended up being very frustrating to me because, um, it was just like, you know, and then they have this reunion show where after the show has aired on live TV, they bring everyone back together. And this one girl's like, I quit my job. I've been soul searching for a year because I hated the person that, you know, was shown on TV yeah, um, you know, and she's talking about herself. Or yes, it... she's talking about herself. Oh wow! And she's like, I came across as shallow. I didn't like that person, but I realized that you know I had all sorts of issues to work out, and so I've been soul searching for the last six months, and I moved. Um, you know, and <laughs> what um, do these people expect? Like, obviously, there's something going on inside of them that prompts them to try out for a show like that. Is that, I mean, have they, if, are some of these people like, okay, I've done, I've done match.com. I've done all the dating sites. I'm over it. I can't find anybody. So they're like, well, maybe this show, this, this is my ticket. Well, so yeah, because, because like I said, I think the reason they signed up is because everything they've tried isn't working. Hmm. And like the movie, the dating project, which takes people on here are the appropriate levels and steps. And it doesn't necessarily solve the problem, particularly for the people in their 20s and 30s in the dating project like do are any of them in long-term relationships by the end like we see personal growth in I them I think so but i think that's part of why the dating project rings true is because we've got these college kids who are being trained in things that these you know these 20s and 30s are like i gosh you know i kind of wish i had somebody teaching yeah. me that when i was they're younger. at college learning how to date like that's a freaking i don't even uh, now we know higher education's done, or our, or our culture's done. I think Those it's like a one credit school. seminar I know, class. But kids have but... to go to school to learn how to date. I mean, come on. What did you do last semester? Ah, I spent $45,000, learned how to go on a date. Huh. Huh. It's better than not learning. <laughs> At least <laughs> you, you learned something. Speaking of which, did you see the Babylon... I learned good financial management, but you learned something. Did you see the Babylon Bee article? No, you didn't, because you're not on. Babylon Bee um, posted something. Oh so... You probably aren't even aware. Harvard is hosting a seminar soon um, about the dangers of homeschooling, which is super ironic because the entire country is homeschooling right now. Oh, good now. job, Harvard. But, well done. But there, there is a professor at Harvard who believes that there should be, in her words, a presumptive ban on homeschooling. In other words, the the assumption is that the state owns children and is the primary educator slash um, raiser. The state owns children. The state, yeah. And she's going to so, have a hard time getting away with that. You know... Well, no, 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 she's not. No, she's well, not. They're, gonna, they're not going to let you walk out of a hospital with your baby without... Without keeping track of what you do with that baby? Yeah, without, you know, because like when we went... And I'm I this was very pronounced to me when we had our children. Like we walked in, you had your baby, they banded us. 
we were free to go do what we wanted with that. Like we could just, we could walk out with the child. Nobody questioned us or like, that's your baby. There's no question here. Oh, they made sure it was our baby <clears throat> I know, when we left. But there but was no question. Left. There was no question between baby and state. There was no like, well, this is the state's baby. You know, we're gonna take we're gonna take one fifth of all of the gross national product of no, but reproduction realize, and use them you, for our military. You realize that I have to sign paperwork yes. every year telling the government that I'm You're homeschooling, homeschooling our children. Yes. And we in Montana I'm going I'm have, just moving further oh, down the track yeah, to like we okay, in Montana have to... one of the most lenient homeschooling laws to, thanks to your old buddy Steve White in large part. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyway, HSLDA, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, is raising all these red flags about Harvard um, hosting this conference that basically says that homeschool families would have to basically apply um, and the default would be send kids to a state school and anyone who wants to opt out has to go through a long process. And she's saying like there's mental abuse and physical abuse going on re- Despite the fact that there's a lot of mounting evidence of what I'm hearing is somebody's had a very poor experience. Oh no no no! Somebody it's... doesn't want religious fanatic nutcases educating their kids when the state could de-religiousize, religionize, or whatever um, their kids. Anyway, um, so let people so be. there's two funny things about this. First of all, Harvard's promotional materials for this had this. Sp- kind of pejorative graphic promoting their thing um promoting this and it was like there's a book as the roof of the house which makes a lot of sense <laughs> and there's all these Looks like, like every homeschool logo ever every well yeah yeah but then ever. but then the side of the house is like book spines um some of which are like you know well one of them is bible but then one of them is arithmetic which is spelled wrong um in the original graphic and people are like, well, maybe Harvard spelled it wrong in the first place to show that homeschoolers are, um, you know, spell things wrong. Like that one. Here it is. Here okay. It is. So in the original graphic, arithmetic was spelled wrong. They corrected the spelling, which shows that they had actually spelled it wrong in the first place. And I noticed they but, put the Bible there, too. Yes. So do you see the bars? Guys, they got s- it wrong. The Bible should be the foundation oh, of the house. Oh, you're Jesus joking, Harvard. Good job. Oh, the bars see, on the windows? Do you see the bars on the window? Oh, so the terrible. impression is that we're locking our kids inside our homes, and all these public school kids spend all this time running around outside <laughs> and wow, have all this how free how wrong time. could that be? <laughs> anyway, I mean, n- not that public school kids can't have free time and be outside because I know a lot of parents with public school kids who spend a lot, you know, who do a lot of great things with their kids. But, um, our kids are literally outside during the school day. Um, sometimes 10 hours a day. Growing up, my mom would not let us outside. Um, she wouldn't let us outside during the day because truant officers would come and pick us up. It was not. It was not a fun scenario. To here's oh. the artist Robert Newbecker. Should we all get online and flame him? No, we shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I'm a terrible human being anymore. I'm getting old and crotchety. Yes, you are. Anyway, um, the Babylon Bee had a very funny one. Also, that um, this goes to your comment about what kids are learning at college with something about like homeschool kid enters college woefully un underprepared for gender studies. <laughs> Yes, my kids will probably oh, not excel goodness. at gender studies 
if they choose to pursue. You know, by the time they get to school, the whole situation could be flipped into something even weirder. Yeah. It's moved. So everything has moved so fast in the last two years, three years. I mean, who knows? I can't keep up. It, there might not even be college by the time our kids are yeah, college age. Hopefully not, because they just sit around drumming up stupid no, illustrations. There will be pandemics. You see, I just saw literally before uh, we logged on here that um, the Old Faithful is not going. Lodge Old Faithful Lodge is not going to be open this summer because it's got communal bathrooms, and so. Um, so they're gonna we're gonna start remodeling and have one stall only bathrooms. I don't know what they're gonna. Well, they they're hoping to open in twenty twenty one. Well, it's not but. a bad deal because when they started doing the gen the gender thing, everybody got all all fried because we didn't have men and women's bathrooms. And then there's I never understood this to begin with. You have the establishments that have one stallers, one says male, one says female. The only difference is the male one has a urinal in it. Why don't they just remove the male female signs and just make one restroom and restroom? You can only have one person in there. I know. You lock your door. Some some people did that, and it makes. I mean, makes to me, that makes all the world. sense because then yeah, the, the men's one has no line, and the women's one right. has a big line. I used, I used a bathroom in Bangladesh that was shared between men and women. That's a Muslim country. I didn't really care. All the men are lined up at the urinals. Women are in the stalls. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I can pee on the street. I, you know, whatever. But I'm a guy, so I, I'm sexist. I'm sure that came out wrong. Did I come out wrong again? Did I just end the show on a on a nosedive? And a down note, no. I'm but sorry. I um I will say that I we are slightly irreverent. I don't mainly because envy of me. women using restrooms in Bangladesh. I don't envy women using rest using men's restrooms. That's true. We're gonna end the show by talking about the um, black home, light home science tools. <laughs> black light. So not only are our children too busy to flush. Um, so, um, I laugh too our, our friends at home science tools have a coronavirus science kit. And the idea is, so you, a lot of the idea is you see how germs spread and it's got like this, um, this powder that's supposed to mimic how germs work and you see the benefits of washing your hands and the powder then like it's invisible on your hands. You spread it on your hands or you put it on something and then you shine a black and then you wash your hands a certain way and you shine a black light on it and you see how much of it's how much of the germ powder is left on your hands and so you're the goal is to teach your kids how important it is to really wash your hands right um so it includes a black light which i have not cracked open the kit for appropriate uses yet but it also <laughs> comes with batteries bonus points to home science tools even one extra battery from what we need but the black light as i'm talking to you one of the guys in charge of the kit um, he's like, well, the black light's handy anyway. Like you can shine it on blood and see if there's blood around your house. And I was like, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure if there's a lot of blood drops just lying around our house, but catwalk through the kitchen. Does it, that's true. After killing a bird, does it show urine? And he's like, yeah. Okay. So I got off the phone with him and I went, I was like, Titus, come here. And he immediately knew, like, based on my kind of smug attitude, something was gonna was going down. So I lock him in our bathroom upstairs, and I turn the light off, and I turn the black light on, and I was horrified. There is so much pee on the walls of our bathroom. And I wash those walls. I honestly scrub those walls. And then I went downstairs to the bathroom that Titus uses... 
And I don't really wash those walls. I will say every man in America can feel me right now. When you pee into a normal-sized toilet at home, you will splatter on your legs if you're wearing shorts. It splatters. We should not be using those toilets to stand you up You should be sitting down to We pee. should all be sitting down. All boys should sit down at, at bowls to pee. Yes. Or install a urinal. Even those still splash. We'll go take. We'll go take that black light over your dad's place. No, shine it on the wall on the outside of the urinal. That's no. depressing. Anyway. The best ones are those super deep, super deep community troughs. The stainless steel ones. Those are the best ones because then if it splatters, it doesn't go. Just, walls are too deep for it to splatter up too far. Oh. So if we have time to flush, we still have pee all over our walls. <laughs> Do we have a do we have yes. a redemptive metaphor for that, or we do we just stop with wash your hands, um, people, and wash your walls? Children are like sourdough. They leave pee everywhere. Just trying to I'm throwing something at the wall, trying. seeing if something sticks. Sourdough will stick to the wall just like your son's pee does. All right, guys. Well, here's to hopefully everybody reopening on some level in the next couple of weeks. You can follow us at Too Busy to Flush, www.tb, the number 2f.com, or Too Busy to Flush.com, all grammatically correct. Uh, no number. And we have new logos. So check those out. Mad props to Mike K, the logo type. He's the man. Please share us with your friends. Shoot us a rating on iTunes. We The highest I've seen we, us peak is 65. Be nice to get back up to number one. Um, see what I did there? Yeah, we're not getting back up anywhere. Uh, anyway, raise us like sourdough. Just keep boosting us up there. Feed us, feed the beast, leave us reviews, share us with your friends, give us listens, download us to every device, subscribe on multiple emails, cheat the system. It's good. (laughs) Because you love us. If there's anything, if there's any random, we'll include a note for, um, we'll include the show notes of things we discussed tonight, the Netflix episodes, the movies. Every moment um, holy. Every moment holy. The COVID, uh, COVID nineteen test kit. Although I don't think, I would link that to our Amazon affiliate program link, but I don't think they sell. They might sell on Amazon. I'll link it on Amazon. So if you Amazon. purchase, if you purchase through our links and their Amazon links, you will support the show because we are an Amazon affiliate, and I think we've made a buck eighty four so far. So we appreciate the dollar eighty four that we have made. Anyway, that's it. I'm Jr. I'm Molly. And thank you for joining us tonight. Good night.